You're listening to the All You Can Eat Shrimp podcast. I'm Tim Shrimp, and I'm joined here today with Lindsay Bailoff. Lindsay Bailoff is an actress and writer turned filmmaker and political commentator. Her YouTube channel and podcast, Artistic Liberties, discuss conservative talking points within the film industry, as well as toxicity going on at Fit Today. Please welcome my guest today, Lindsay Bailoff. Thanks for coming today, Lindsay. Thank you. It's actually uh, Lindsay Balif, um, oh, wow. but Sorry. or yeah. or if you want to get really technical, it's Balif, but oh, it's French. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. you know, I'm not really French. So that's kind of stupid <laughs> for me to go around like that. But yeah, <laughs> thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I got a weird complex uh, last name too. Uh, when I reached out to you, I was legit worried. Like, she's have she's gonna have no idea how to pronounce my last name. I still don't. And pretty much all of my guests, I have no idea how to pronounce their name. So. Yeah, like uh, it, it's pronounced uh, shrimp, which is why my podcast is called All You Can Eat Shrimp with Tim Shrimp. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, nice little play on words, but uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about your acting career? Um, so it's basically a failed acting career, but I have had a lot of training. So basically, okay. I started out... I went to a BFA program in Western at Western Carolina University in Western North Carolina, dropped out um, through toxic uh, problems there. And then I studied in Asheville, which is an hour from there. And I commuted there for a while for about two years. I've done some musical theater training in New York, and I've done a lot of uh, actor training in Los Angeles, uh, Utah, a couple other places. Um, so I trained all in that for about eight or nine years. Then I moved out to LA for a year and a half and then the pandemic happened, but I did study out there in musical theater, film, uh, casting workshops and Meisner. So ever since then, I've still been going for it. I've gotten more jobs after leaving Los Angeles than I did in Los Angeles, which is kind of ironic. Um, I'm currently in a, oh, I finished about last year, last April, I was in a pilot called, uh, human nature oh, yeah. and it'll be coming out hopefully this year uh, yeah so year yeah so tell us a little bit about uh human nature plug yourself in a little uh human nature is supposed to be a pilot that's gonna be pitched to netflix or something i probably won't get it because i'm not vaccinated but uh, uh it is it's like animal you know animal planet the, the documentary channel yeah it's like awesome. that as a comedy and it's like they're observing women in a bar and guys in a bar and like they kind of narrate it like that it's super funny and I'm the ugly the ugly girl at the bar <laughs> I almost didn't get the role because the director was so sweet she's like well you don't look ugly but you're just so good at playing the ugly girl at the bar that here you go so I had a great time with that I broke a champagne glass during filming it was awesome <laughs> um <laughs> now I'm working on my own film called Breaking yeah. Legs which is yeah. about yeah tell us a little about that uh, it is uh, it's so funny. I wrote it originally for NBC, uh, like to submit for their, it was like a pilot thing during the pandemic. Um, and I'm like, now I'm like, I don't want NBC to take that. I want to make it my own um, by myself. And hopefully I just sent just before I got in this, I sent this to Bonfire Legend. So I sent a pitch of myself and the film to them because, you know, I'm still getting funding, but if I gave it to them, they could make it a series. Anyway, yeah, and uh, uh, a pitch for and a link where people can support you, who it will be provided in the show notes of this episode. Uh, would you like to tell my listeners on what they can do to help support uh, 
your goal of making Breaking Legs a pilot, an actual series? Uh, share it with every filmmaker you know, and also, you know, donate and do the best you can make it make it known that we're just trying to make a really short pilot that's like got a minimum of $2,000. It's only only reason why we have a $20,000 budget is so that we can hire people from around the US who are unvaccinated and who are passionate about filmmaking and lost their dreams because of the stupid unions, so. <laughs> yeah, like why don't you explain uh, what exactly is going on with uh, all the film industry and COVID-19 lately? Oh man, it is insane. Uh, you have to be I think for, to be on Broadway, you likely have to be triple vaxxed or be a touring production. And if you want to be in a big Hollywood film for Netflix or any of the big studios like Netflix or NBC, you have to be double vaxxed minimum. <sighs> Ooh, it's a lot. And you have to have tests. You have to wear masks, uh, unless you're filming and it's very, very strict and very, very obnoxious. I think they might've tight, you know, listen, the Titans not loosen the titans loosened whatever loosened Loosen. restrictions uh yeah recently but i i, I highly doubt it because los angeles is just stupid and <laughs> full of brainwashed robots um yeah honestly. like like you think uh if any major a-list actor said they weren't going to follow that restriction uh uh the unions would maybe look the other way like let's say the cast of the upcoming Avengers movie just to pull something out of the air said uh, we don't want to get another vaccine uh, and so if you don't want to hire us that's fine but you can either loosen the restrictions for us as the big actors or is in in for Marvel or or you can take us or leave us do you think that might be an ultimatum that could possibly happen um I don't think so. I don't think any of the Avengers people are that brave, yeah. but if they did do that, that'd be awesome. And that would change the whole industry because they make the most money out of everybody, even more yeah. than the Oscar winners do. So that would be awesome. And I agree that would happen if, I mean, if that did happen, it would change things, but I am very doubtful. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, I just use them as a hypothetical, like first thing to come to mind, like the only member of a, uh, the main Avengers cast that I could see doing that would probably be Chris Pratt, personally. Yeah, and yeah. if he, if he, um, I mean, like, I think he either got a special exemption that's, like, super, super under wraps, or he just got it. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, like, I'm not involved in the film industry. He, like, my acting career ended after I finished high school, basically. Hey, so... Like, hearing just some of the stories like uh, Alec Baldwin not being arrested after manslaughter on the set of Rust, uh, that, that's just so amazing. And everyone I talked to that worked uh, at, in the armory department handling the guns uh, just tore everyone involved with uh, the film a new one for how stupid they were with it. I still don't know. If, I don't even like feel like it's real, if that makes yeah. sense. Because I'm still kind of in denial that that happened because it's so weird and crazy. Yeah, like I remember when that when I when that first came out, I straight up up said this sounds like someone set Alec Ball Holdwin up. Like someone planned this. There's no way this was an accident, in my opinion. 
and i could have sworn i um saw like a show that did the same thing yeah uh, a tv show like not they like it didn't happen on the tv show but like they wrote it as if that happened yeah in the story so that kind of freaked me out. i was like oh look fiction came to life <laughs> but man i don't know i like baldwin's terrifying i don't understand yeah. why anybody wants to work with him even before the shooting um he's not a nice dude and just i don't know i don't have anything up against him it's just you know he's uh, not a good dude <laughs> uh have you ever worked with alec baldwin no <laughs> uh but i've uh, heard i've heard lots of stories okay yeah like uh how about you tell us some of the celebrities you have worked with like any stories there that you could tell um i was on a ryan murphy movie um he seemed pretty sketch um negative emotions uh we basically did not get any meal breaks but that's kind of he's notorious for that he doesn't ever let people go on meal breaks and then he'll get sag to give all the meal penalties to the extras so usually ever since glee he has always been crappy to extras um i've worked on a movie with uh amy poehler on moxie and my roommate who is was insane got kicked off of moxie and basically blackballed <laughs> by amy poehler and it was actually hilarious because she was an evil roommate so oh wow <laughs> yeah um and then do you know who robert spite jr is uh rob robert spite jr uh no i'm sorry he um he played gabriel in supernatural oh okay watch supernatural um i loved supernatural so i was on lucifer and i was just a background Really? And he, he, yeah. And he passed by me with the camera and I like grinned really, really big. And he kind of looked at me like, oh, supernatural girl. And he, and he, he grins really big back at me. And I was like, it's, it's you, <laughs> it's Gabriel. And so he was really yeah. excited to have me there. Um, um, who else? There's one other yeah. story. Nope. It's gone. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you brought that up because I actually had a similar situation because I'm actually in Borat too. Oh, yeah? Yeah, like, uh, I was at CPAC in 2020 when he was uh, doing his old, his old stick. Uh, don't know if you saw <laughs> the movie, but he comes in dressed as President Trump, and uh, he's trying to interrupt Mike Pence's speech. Like, he breaks in trying to offer his daughter to give him to Donald Trump. Uh, I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know the full context, but I, I remember this because uh, the first day he was there, like the first day of CPAC was when Mike Pence was speaking and he somehow got in and dressed up and like, I've been going to CPAC for a few years now and I'm pretty used to people trying to disrupt uh, up the speeches for attention basically. So we all just originally thought he was just some troll trying to make a seat. Then later that, then the next day he just, uh, He's running through the hallways again to get uh, footage for him actually getting in there. So, they're like, uh, and it's funny because like, like I saw like uh, my friend who was also there, like he saw the trailer for that and and like he just just uh, said, "Dude, that guy from CPAC that that was Borat. You you gotta check out the trailer. It's actually in there." So I pull up and yes, I I see myself in the trailer. I'm in that movie. That's great. Yeah, like, so I just tell everyone, uh, so I like just screenshot my reaction to this and uh, that's my profile on Twitter now and it's just freaking everyone, I'm showing it to everyone just at my work, just uh, playing myself up and I'm a big Hollywood actor now, apparently. <laughs> that's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, 
I from the prom there's a picture of me my friend found uh in the very beginning scene that was the only scene I was in and it's just me it kind of looks like that one meme where uh there's a couple walking and then the guy's looking back at the other girl checking her out you know that meme Uh, yeah yeah so it looks like that and it's me and I'm like and I'm looking at someone walking by me while this other person's looking at me and it's I made it into a meme of myself (laughs) (laughs) so you know extra work may suck sometimes but you can always make the best of it that's how I feel uh yeah yeah yeah, but that's great to hear so uh maybe tell us like what advice would you give to some young conservative who want to go into the film industry like what would you tell them today if you're an actor you need to write and you need to be able to make films on your own and or find somebody who is within your area who does do films and does reels or ask them if you can get a uh, what's it called a rate with reels make sure you get reels before you go to any big uh city because I went to LA without reels Um, so like, basically they couldn't see what I could do. Um, so it's like going, that's like basically being a graphic designer without a portfolio. Uh, yeah. What exactly is a reel, uh, for my audience who might not know? So a reel is like, uh, scenes or a compilation of scenes of you and your range as an actor. Um, when you're starting out, you just want to have one or two scenes that are scenes that either you wrote or someone else wrote that you worked with. Um, and it's produced, it doesn't have to be perfect, but you kind of want it to be, you know, what your character or what your character typecast could be, um, and find out what your typecast can be is just by figuring out what people think of you, but be very careful with it. Cause sometimes people will just kind of shit. Oh, sorry. Prep on you <laughs> because, uh, you know, sometimes people just are jealous that you're an actor. So make sure that you're asking other actor friends. You're, if you have any casting director friends, ask them. I've worked as casting. You can ask me, um, send me your headshot. I'll figure it out. You can tell you what you're, you can be cast as and help you find material. Um, uh, keep on working on your acting craft. That's the most important thing. Uh, whether or not that's taking classes, reading monologues, working on scenes that you enjoy, figuring out how to just keep practicing no matter what is the most important thing and connecting and finding a network of fellow artists who want to make films with you because currently the uh hollywood is not doing it but there is hollywood for freedom which is doing it if you are in la i would stay there and do hollywood freedom but if you are in the southeast i would just stay there and figure out how to do stuff without doing the crazy stuff of like the vaccine stuff if you want to you can but you know yeah, that's my <laughs> long answer. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. And uh, yeah, so maybe tell us, uh, like, what do you think about all the writing that's been going on with a lot of things like Disney to pro- pander to a progressive audience? Like, uh, like you see this uh, short on Disney Plus, I'm sorry, Disney Junior a couple of weeks ago where they were talking about microaggression. It's, it's very infuriating, but I, I don't like, what's the word? I don't, uh, I'm not shocked. Yeah. Um, I've lived in LA when the BLM riots were happening. So I know how brainwashed these people are. Yeah. Um, they don't know what life is like outside of their little Hollywood bubble. And they think that they are self-righteous for promoting these ideas. Um, sorry, was the question how I feel about it or was it like, like, I guess, why exactly can some, like, why can some like Disney 
he pro promote a lot of leftist ideology he like BLM and uh, stuff like that, but at the same time, pander to China's authoritarian nature. So Disney is very complicated because Disney is infiltrated with China and BlackRock and all the big crazy corporations that are all in cahoots to make us more communist with China. Uh, so Disney is besties with China because Disney is greedy and Disney wants all the money and all the power. And so Disney will do everything they can to please China. Um, I'm pretty sure, I'm not sure how crazy their infiltration is, but I know it's pretty bad because they like thanked the people that were in charge of the Uyghur Muslim camps at the end of the credits of Mulan. So I just, uh, it makes me sad. I used to like be a Disney adult and now I'm just not. <laughs> so I think the reason why is because we have too many monopolies and Disney is the biggest one in the industry because they bought 20th century of Fox and they've destroyed pretty much everything they touch. And that's how they get woke is because the propagandists infiltrate and it's very similar to how, and I hate always comparing stuff to Hitler, but like they had like when film first came out, I'd study this in film class was there was one lady that was like Hitler's propagandist that came from somewhere from the U.S. or something like that. And she learned film here and it was at the very beginning. And that's how like film, film actually was propaganda at the beginning. It wasn't just Nazi propaganda, but like film emerged as propaganda um, during those periods on, on both sides. But sorry, I forgot where I was going. Um, but yeah, so... China's just super powerful and Disney wants to be on the winning side. And Disney has two parks there too, in Shanghai as well as Hong Kong. So they are probably in bed with each other. With yeah, because it, yeah, it's interesting because uh, like Disney posted this uh, short little cartoon on uh, some Disney Junior kind of uh, short uh, talking about microaggressions and about specifically microaggressions against uh, African-Americans, yet uh, how can they, how can Disney honestly get away with talking about that, but at the same time edit out uh, Finn from the Star Wars franchise because China has some kind of prejudice against uh, African-Americans, like the posters, the Chinese posters for the Star Wars trilogy had him completely edited out, like how can Disney play both sides like that? And nobody calls them out on it. Censorship and corruption and just dumb writers, I think. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's that simple to me, I think. Um, yeah. And there's most of the people that work for Disney are really stupid people from Silicon Valley who are just diversity hires mostly. And I hate to say that. That sounds wrong, but. Um, I pers I knew someone who worked for Pixar who was absolutely insane and now she works at DreamWorks and she's a girlfriend of my ex-friend and she is like classified insane. <laughs> so people like her or who are merging into this industry are these crazy young socialists and communists who have been educated by California education systems as well as California schools, which are supposedly supposed to have the best animation and the best writing programs for uh film and they get indoctrinated in there and it's kind of similar to how you know ben shapiro says that like i think ben shapiro or somebody says that college 
is the ultimate factor of what happens to the next generation and they will get indoctrinated and that's why they're discouraging college now because it's just so it's just an indoctrination center it's no longer a place of learning it's just repeating and memorizing things that are communist (laughs) in some ways so yeah and china also has infiltrated most of our universities and so that also plays into it so I think it's mostly universities and these these uh, creative arts programs are no longer creative. Yeah, uh, so kind of going off of that, like you said, a lot of this has to do with California. Like, like yeah, I get that uh, Calif- like most people in California do acting at some point in their life because you're right in the entertainment industry. How, how could you not do acting? So... In your experience, about how many people, percentage-wise, aren't California-born that go into the film industry in your In Los Angeles, probably at least half are not from L.A. Okay. Um, and then half are. But I could be wrong. It's actually not as many as you think that are all from L.A., but there are some. Or maybe at, le- at most, like, 40%. Yeah, and about how many people that uh yeah and i guess a lot of people don't realize a lot of the issues that go on on within the film industry but how many people go into film from let's say the midwest go in and uh actually become famous actors and actually get big parts in something where they can actually be seen like like not even just a main character just something where this film will be seen I wouldn't know the percentages of how many people from outside of LA would, but I do know in general as becoming an actor, especially if you are a white woman, it is very much below 1%. And if you are not a white woman, it is 1%. It's a very slim chance no matter what, but if you are a white woman, you're no longer wanted in the film industry in at least in the woke world. Yeah. And do you think uh, all the backlash that, well, all the minor backlash that uh, Hollywood got from the Me Too movement played a role into that because once it came out that the entire Hollywood industry knew about uh, what Harvey Weinstein and Kevin Spacey were doing, among other people, like once that came out, out uh, do you think that really made, uh, like what impact do you think that would have on females going into the film industry, in your opinion? Um. I don't think it had that much impact. I think we still had plenty of people come into the industry yeah. or plenty of females. I think it just made us a little more awake to what's going on. We used to think that casting couches were just myths, but now the general public understands that it's a lot more real. I I experienced it secondhand. My roommate was absolutely insane. She was a bipolar alcoholic and she was also like sex addicted and she would have sex with directors and then call rape when she didn't want to be in a film anymore because she had bipolar weird tendencies and just didn't want to do it. Mm. And then she'd be like, oh, nope, he raped me. And then she was stuck on one of my best friend's projects who's a really great filmmaker. I'm not going to say who because he's he's closeted conservative. Um, oh, okay, no problem. And she like made his life living hell. She was just awful. She didn't memorize lines. She was just absolutely horrible and she tried to like get in bed with him and he was like no I don't want you to like he like they never slept together but like he somehow got her on the thing because she was going to be a PA and an actress 
and he's just like, like, I'm never working with this girl again. Like we, we shared, we bonded on shared trauma because she was so crazy. But I do think that there are people, especially in the acting industry that will give up everything and anything for a chance to be a lead. And from my experience, Hollywood is just a big, dark cesspool of sadness <laughs> and broken dreams. And that's why so many people die of drug uh, overdoses or alcoholism or whatever. Um, so what I'm excited about is Daily Wire and stuff over here, you know, in our movement, our bonfire legend is actually, you know, creating a alternate Hollywood where we're not full of that crap and we're not promoting horrible ideas and we're not promoting horrible, um, what's it called? Indoctrination. It's more about what is a good story? What, what is, uh, something that we can all relate to and something that is important and will help our society move forward instead of keep us in a propaganda hole or propaganda cesspool like Hollywood. Yeah. And like kind of writing on that same history of like kind of that same idea of, uh, of uh, Hollywood being a cesspool of broken dreams. Like, do you feel like a big reason why child actors end up going through so much mental health problems has a big thing to do with just the culture of filmmaking, if that makes sense. Of like how it's 14 hour days and you barely get any rest. Yes. Yeah, well. <laughs> there's a reason why there's a stereotype that grips basically smoke 14 packs a day and are depressed and angry. <laughs> and actresses are literally, you know, depressed all the time. Uh, you know, if you do sacrifice your values and your whole life for a career, you're, you're not going to be a person anymore. You're just going to be a shell of a human being, I feel like. And I, I know that from experiencing just sacrificing my own values. I never really had sex or anything for a role. I just kind of sacrificed, you know, speaking out as a conservative and I felt very dead inside. And I can't imagine how that would be if I sacrificed other things, um, including like a vaccine or something. So I feel like it's more important to, you know, be happy with yourself as a person because a lot of people, especially actors, don't know how to separate themselves from them, their acting. And it's much more healthier to, I talked about this with one of my guests, Brian Cloudis. It's much more healthier to be an artist and a person because you can draw as an artist from your life. And that makes your art so much more fulfilling, so much more beautiful. And people will be more drawn to you, especially if you are a person first and then an artist second. Yeah, because like uh, Disney is especially bad about this. Like, uh, like I remember and it, uh, some video talking about uh, my when Miley Cyrus uh, was working on Hannah Montana. She was working like 50 hours a week. He got the age of 14 and just all the stress of performing thing like that was just too much on her that by the age of 16 she was having full-on panic attacks and had to cancel shows because she just physically couldn't do it like have you ever met any young child actors who go through that as well i haven't met them but i've heard the stories yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i used to dream of being a child actor and now that like i've heard like from shia LaBeouf too who just like went insane um and I think, what's his name? The guy who played Frodo. He was like sexually abused as a kid. I don't really think I would ever want that on anybody or wish that on anybody, even yeah. not even myself. I mean, I don't hate myself, but you know. <laughs> um, 
child uh, acting is a lot more scarier than we ever imagined if we really it's a not a fun <laughs> dark hole to go down to but yeah yeah like uh bojack horseman really hits uh the nail on the head with that like uh season three with uh sarah lynn just just uh, reflecting on all the stress being a child actor put on on her and just uh bojack horseman just being such a realistic depiction of depression and uh working in la like uh how accurate would you say bojack horseman is to uh his real life uh, inspiration bob saget in your opinion I never watched BoJack Horseman. <laughs> Sorry, really? to be honest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did watch Barry, and I will say that Barry is probably way more is probably the most accurate thing I've ever watched. Uh, okay, okay, yeah, uh, I haven't seen Barry, so why don't you tell us a little bit about that then? <laughs> I love Barry so much. Okay, so Bill Hader from SNL, you know the Stefan uh, meme. He wrote and produced, he's one of my heroes. He's great. I think he might be secretly conservative, but you didn't hear that from me because he doesn't have any social media. Um, he wrote and produced and starred and directed this. And it's about this assassin from Cleveland who slowly becomes, he learns he wants to be an actor and he comes to LA and he falls in love with this crazy narcissistic actress who's insane. And as he does, he learns to realize that he's more human and he like realizes that his depression is from murdering people. <laughs> and it's really funny because he has to balance this assassin career and then this acting career. And it's so funny because it's like, it's relatable in a sense because we all have to balance this acting career and our day job. And it's funny because it's, he's an assassin. And so we see him go through that stress and then he goes through the acting stress and it's just so much fun. It's just great. It's a great show. I highly recommend it. Even if you're not an actor, if you just want to understand how Hollywood is and how, <laughs> how toxic some acting classes are, Barry will give you the best depiction of that ever. Yeah, that does sound interesting. Is uh, like, what platforms is it available on? It's on HBO Max and HBO. Oh, okay, okay. And they're actually, they're renewed for season three that's coming in April. So they had a two and a half year break. They broke, they had a break for the whole pandemic because, you know, but yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, that sounds fun. And uh, kind of just to go back to the idea of child actors, like, uh, like, uh, have you heard of the rumors about uh, Nick, former Nickelodeon show producer, Jan, Dan Schneider? Yep. Uh, yeah. What? You want to explain to my audience uh, what these rumors entail and your thoughts on how believable they are? Um, the rumors were probably like about how he had like a foot fetish and he was like abusive to the kids. And I'm pretty sure it is pretty true. I think there's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes that we have no idea that a lot of people are, they have hush money to keep them quiet. Um, Dan Schneider, I mean, I'm not going to work with anybody who works with him because I'm not vaccinated. So it doesn't really matter if I do <laughs> bad mouth this man. Um, I do think, you know, I, I, I'm not always a believe the victim all the time person, because sometimes that can get toxic and people are manipulative all the time and will call cry wolf all the time. But I do think that Kit, the people who have come forward about Dan Schneider are right because, you know, like when you're a kid, it's hard for you to process that and understand it until you've gone to lots of therapy. And uh, what's her name? Jeanette McCurdy was on iCarly. She doesn't even want to be an actress anymore. 
and she's gone through so much trauma like she's written a whole play about like how her mom forced her into this industry and she didn't want to be in it and now she's come to accept that trauma and she's also talked about that trauma and she's learned a lot and like she's actually become she's becoming a director now because she's overcoming all her trauma but I know I think she's correct on you know her accusations because she's made such an interesting journey of overcoming things so yeah and yeah and where can people get uh some more uh credible information on Dan and Schneider because a lot of the stuff I've heard was mostly comes down to all to YouTube videos and they cite a lot of uh questionable sources like they get uh get from these tabloid websites random redditors who claim to be child actors former child actors who work with day and so like again I don't really know oh and uh like and I'm just I'm just and, citing what I heard yeah. so I'm not entirely yeah. sure either <laughs> yeah and I feel like and I was a little bit skeptical at first because when I first heard about it uh, a lot of people were talking about his relationship with uh, Amanda Bynes and that's when I first heard about it and they cite this interview where she seems, for the context, uh, during this time, Amanda Bynes is probably 11, maybe 13 at the most, and she's getting interviewed, and she seems a bit uh, jittery, kind of over the top, and uh, they're kind of talking to her, and she just makes a comment like, oh yeah, like, uh, we always seem to have coke on, on set, uh, but but now Dan Schneider made a rule that I can't have any coke, like, they're talking about Coca-Cola, Cola, obviously, and she's a kid, but a lot of people talk about this like like Coke as in the drug cocaine. And I'm like, I know that's a little skeptical. She's a 12-year-old kid, probably excited about being interviewed for the first time. And uh, yeah, that's probably why she's so jittery like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You can always look at the mental health track record and you can always psychoanalyze, but I guess we'll never know. But yeah, maybe. Maybe it was cocaine. I mean, SNL was like notorious in the 80s or the 80s and 90s for having cocaine on set, but they weren't Nickelodeon. They were adults, yeah. but yeah, you never and, know. Yeah, and I, and I noticed this happens a lot primarily with uh, female acts actresses and you never really see this happening like child male child actors going off off the deep end like the only real person that really sticks out to me in my opinion is uh Frankie Munez from Malcolm in the Midland his main issue is that he's got a lot of brain damage from driving NASCAR mm-hmm. yeah um you know one source I do trust absolutely and I I, I never felt like someone was genuine um, is Rose McGowan. She's probably one of the most genuine people I've noticed. And like, she's not left or right. And she is a little bit leftist in many of her ways. Um, and I didn't really trust her until I watched this Tucker Carlson interview on the Tucker Carlson, like his day show or whatever through Fox News Nation. And it was a two hour episode. It was two parter. And she's just like, this woman is so ADHD. Like she will talk about everything and anything all like at like a million <laughs> miles per hour. And like, for me as an ADHD person, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so genuine. But also like, she's just so super fast and just fascinating because she's gone through like, she was actually in a cult when she grew up. She's from Mexico. 
like she's been through it. And like, I trust that woman about what's going on in the industry more than anybody. Cause she's literally like risking her life to tell the truth. Um, the Clintons are after her. Um, she's like hiding in Mexico and like people are after her and she's just anti-establishment anti, you know, everything evil. She doesn't trust Trump, but she doesn't trust anything in the establishment either. So she's really fascinating to me. And plus she was also what, what woke me up about Hollywood was her saying that basically creative artist agency is a sex trafficking hub because you're, they're basically um, selling people and it's basically sex trafficking. You know, you're basically selling your body um, to be on a movie. And the second that you do a nude scene, you are no longer useful and it's kind of degrading. And I'm like, no wonder why she quit. Like, <laughs> no wonder why she's like, bye, I'm going to Mexico because it's just so traumatizing what she's gone through. And she exposed Harvey Weinstein. And she talked about that whole thing about how she went through it. And she was on Rowan and Farrow's pad podcast and everything. And it was just really fascinating to hear from her about the industry. And it, that, that was like my biggest red pill moment about Hollywood. I, I used to think that, oh, this vaccine mandate thing will go away and I'll just go back to Hollywood. and I'll keep pursuing. The second I watched, that, I was like, nope, I'm going to make my own films because what she said on that interview just red pilled me like that. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Can you, uh, and can you send me a link to that interview? I'll, I'll include that into the show notes will. as well. And yeah. And where else can people uh, learn more about uh, her experiences with, uh, with the Hollywood uh, sex trafficking? Um, she didn't say it was particularly sex trafficking. I just used the okay, wrong word, okay. but it feels kind of, it's like implied, um, but they can learn more about her experience through, she has Instagram. Okay. And she will have lots of rants on Instagram um, and she'll post her stories and stuff, like giving us little clues of who's evil in the industry and stuff. And I think sometimes she's on podcasts and sometimes she uh, comes back out of nowhere. Um, just follow her website and follow everything, everywhere you can find her on social media. She's, she's great. I love her so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Sounds interesting. Uh, oh, so... she has a documentary too. Um, oh, oh yeah. What's it called? Uh, I don't remember, but it, it's on our website probably, but it's a documentary and she has a book. Hmm. I think it's like finding, no, it's not finding Rose, something Rose, but yeah, she's great. Uh, yeah. So like, why do you think uh, all this uh, abuse seems so common in Hollywood? Um, people say that power corrupts and yeah. that's, what it comes down to, especially even in politics in our White House, we have people like Joe Biden who may or may not be a pedophile. Um, it's the same thing in Hollywood. Uh, you know, Harvey Weinstein, the reason why he was enabled to do these things is because he was the owner of the biggest company in Hollywood. His movies would give you Oscars. Um, it is rumored, uh, I got yelled at by my uh, film critic teachers and like a film cr criticizing class um and that he was like you can't judge jennifer what's it jennifer j law jennifer uh, lawrence you okay. can't jennifer yes we had to write a paper on silver linings play playbook and i was like i put in my essay i had the gall to do this i put yep jennifer lawrence probably slept with harvey weinstein to get this role and he goes you can't say that <laughs> and i'm like this is before it all came out this is she literally said thank you to him in her Oscar speech um, and said he was like the main proponent of it. There's like footage of it and everything. Yeah. So it's mainly people will do, it comes back to the thing of people, especially women will do anything. They, they, uh, they will do anything to get a role. 
um, whether that means sacrificing their life, soul, body, whatever, they will do it. They're so obsessed with it. Yeah, like, and- And these uh, men know it. Yeah, and what was the reaction to the whole Harvey Weinstein incident when it first uh, came out within uh, young up-and-coming actors and people who probably didn't know about this yet because the way the media played it up was that this was a pretty open secret to everyone really established in Hollywood already. With the younger people, I remember it coming out like 2016, 2015 ish era. Um, I was in high school in my performing arts thing and it, it was kind of, it became a feminist thing like, oh, well, men are always after us. Kind of, They just kind of turned it on to be a victim thing. And it kind of bothered me because no, it's not a victim thing. And if you make it a victim thing, then you enable yourself to become the victim of that down the line. And that bothered me really a lot. So, um, and plus it made my parents not make me not want to go do what I've been studying for so long and working so hard on, um, which they were trying to protect me and I get it. And I was just kind of dumb when I was in high school, but it, the effect it had was we were a little more aware of it, but at the same time, we weren't able to call it out when it happened on a smaller scale either. Yeah, it's al- yeah, it's also uh, interesting how uh, more established people in Hollywood seem to uh, forgotten how they already knew about it. Because like, uh, I'm convinced Seth MacFarlane knew everything that was going on because people brought up a clip of... Uh, random clip from a season of Family Guy earlier seasons where Stewie's running through the mall naked and he just shouts, help, I escaped from Kevin Spacey's basement. And then uh, the whole whole accusations of Kevin Spacey sexual abusing minors came out. And uh, of course, uh, the Oscar scene where there, uh, I think it was, uh, it was either Jon Stewart or Seth MacFarlane who said, Edit, uh, I just learned that uh, Monsters, Inc. is a Disney movie and not about Harvey Weinstein or thank you, ladies. Uh, now you can stop pretending that Harvey Weinstein is attractive. Yep. And a uh, little bit, yeah, obviously, now that we know that, it's very eyebrow raising. And just a couple of years back, uh, uh, South, uh, I'm sorry, not South Park, uh, Family Guy decided to bring that up again by doing a parody of the Avengers, one of their cutaways called the Offenders, where they talk about all these sexual abusers. And of course, Kevin Spacey and Harvey Weinstein, he may uh, are part of it. And uh, like, yeah, I guess they kind of talk about, yeah, this this joke was meant to be a, a uh, Seth MacFarlane and the Family Guy team calling out this behavior expecting us to forget that Seth MacFarlane knew he was powerful at the time he knew oh yeah he did most people did um and there are still plenty of Harvey Weinstein's alive today in the industry and well and hiding I think they used Harvey Weinstein as the ultimate scapegoat when it did come out and then did nothing (laughs) except for wear a little hashtag me too sticker and that did nothing so (laughs) Because uh, Oprah was one of Harvey Weinstein's enablers, uh, and so was Meryl Streep, unfortunately, even though we love Meryl Streep. Yeah. But yeah, um, didn't do much. 
uh, Keanu Reeves wasn't part of this, was he? I don't think so, because he wasn't even on the Epstein thing. Oh, thank either. God. Yeah, Keanu Reeves, I think, is fine. Um, neither is Bill Hader, but Bill yeah. Hader's not as big as Keanu Reeves or most people. But Well, he has an Emmy, but still. Yeah, yeah. yeah everyone loves like uh, Keanu Reeves, everyone lo- loves him, is the feeling mutual within uh, the acting world. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. great. He's really nice. Also, another person who's very unproblematic, you would be shocked. The reason why he gets the most work is not because he's the best actor in the industry, it's because he's the nicest actor in the industry, is Chris Pine, is what I've heard. Uh, yeah, Chris Pine's, uh, he did uh, Captain America, right? No, he did uh, Star Trek, and oh, okay. uh, he was the boyfriend in Wonder Woman. Yeah. Yeah. He gets hired uh, because, you know, <laughs> he's nice. <laughs> yeah, that's that's good. Like uh one thing I was legit worried about is that uh, everyone loves uh Keanu Reeves, but I was afraid Hollywood just kind of see him as that uh overpopular jock kid that nobody can really stand within within their outside their group. Uh like that's kind of what my real fear was. Yeah. Um, he can play a lot yeah. of things. He's not my favorite, but he's pretty good. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so what really inspired you to get into acting, I guess? Um, Doctor Who, back oh, yeah? when it was not woke, uh, David Tennant through Matt Smith era. I was really obsessed with the Matt Smith era in middle school. Helped me get through my depression in middle school because, you know, we know we all know middle school is just awful. Um, yeah. And I was a very great, uh, imag- I had a great imagination and I wrote a lot of Doctor Who fan fiction and it was kind of my escape <laughs> and I was really touched by a lot of certain scenes that were from David Tennant to about Capaldi before Bill came on and I don't know I was just really touched by those scenes and I memorized a lot of them and I acted them out of my room a lot and I started getting to British stuff and then I led to me to Shakespeare camp and Shakespeare and I got really obsessed with Shakespeare and the way words work and how we can dramatic writing um and i just really love shakespeare now i've been a shakespeare nerd since high school and ever since then after going to shakespeare camp i've just kept on getting into theater i was always a musical theater kid since i was like a child so it was musical theater then doctor who then shakespeare and then i got into film um and film i started probably when i was like six and i would just do random weird little videos with my friends and then i did filmmaking in high school and i didn't really think of it as a career until now um, that I have to do it as necessity, but I find more joy in composition and in shots than I do in, uh, what's it called? Sorry, in not writing. I love writing and I find more joy in writing and composition of shots than I do in just acting. I love just creating different things. I haven't really had the experience to do too much of it yet, but I just can't wait to direct my own film artistically, short film, long film, you know, all that stuff. So yeah, I was inspired mainly by Doctor Who though to actually pursue it. Well, then probably like uh, got this cute little thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that is cute. Yeah, I got this uh, for Christmas one year by my stepmom. Like a little Christmas Tardis because this is an audio episode. Uh, oh, uh, just that's a little cute little little thing. Uh, keep it on my my desk. Uh, I just like it. it's nice. Not even that big of a Doctor Who fan, personally. Used to be back in high school, though. But yeah, so. But in your it's opinion, woke. <laughs> yeah, like 
in your opinion, what's the jumping the shark moment in, in uh, Doctor Who where the quality went down and it became woke? Uh, right after uh, Jenna Coleman and Clara Oswald left, I think, because they only hired the girl Bill for because she was a gay Black person. I'm like, that's her only personality as a character. And the problem I had with that is not because she was black and gay. It was because they made that her entire personality. And then they made all the companions and the characters afterwards, their identity politics were their only personalities. So for example, where of a person who was a di- you know diverse character was Martha Jones. If you remember, she was black and she was a woman, but was that her entire personality? No. She was a doctor herself. And then she went out and she was super badass. She like killed aliens. She went and worked for Torchwood. She became like the best lieutenant in the in the ar- army against the aliens in the unit or something. And then she like was just super cool. And she was also still a scientist and a doctor all by herself. And then she found Mickey. And Mickey was, you know, Rose's ex-boyfriend. And then they fell in love and fought aliens together without the doctor. And like, they figured out that they had worth even if they weren't with him. So that's why I, that's the point. It's just when they had Bill and then 12 Capaldi was just kind of lost without Clara and it was just a mess. And then they went to the woman thing. And then we have Yaz who has no personality and she's just boring. She's just there. And then Graham was kind of just there. And then Ryan was just, he had his disability and his, his skin color was his only personality. And that was it. I was like, you need to have depth to these characters for me to care about them. And I understand you have to have a diversity quota, but if you just write a character without, you know, they don't have to be a specific skin color, unless if it's actually helpful to the plot, let them be a deep, like a deep, very deep three-dimensional character, not just two-dimensional, if that makes sense, or one-dimensional. Yeah. And yeah, even even the white old man still had barely any dimensions in the woke ones. So like Captain Jack Harkness is another example. He's like like pansexual gay, has sex with all of the aliens, all of the people. And yet he had three dimensions <laughs> and he was funny. He was charismatic. We all loved him. Like even my conservative parents enjoyed his character and they, they're not even like that great about gays or whatever, you know, like it's, you know. <laughs> You got to have personality and character and character depth more than anything else. And then you can write about your wokeness, but which I don't prefer, but I feel yeah. like it's much more valuable to have depth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, I feel like that's uh, what really works for the Purge movies. Like, like uh, the Purge franchise is really interesting to me because at least the first movie, the first several movies in it, uh, they clearly had some political overtones but they weren't taking sides like they were basically a Bechtel test on where you stood on uh, what role the government should play like in the first movie where all government services are shut down and uh, the home get home of the main character gets invaded and spoiler alerts uh, when the family like uh, when the neighbors all came in pissed at uh, this family making so much money selling security home systems to the um, they came in and just decided to, like they plan on murdering them. Um, and the excuse is, don't blame us, it's the purge. Like, yeah, to me that comes down to what role you think the government should play with dictating morality. And yeah, like, what do you think about that? 
don't watch the purge movies either <laughs> um but yeah i think i mean political messages in films are are fine it's just yeah. sometimes they're over your head they're like are hitting it so much in your face that it's just obnoxious and it's like bruh <laughs> don't do this to me um what's but we've always had political messages in our in our entertainment since the time of shakespeare um but shakespeare was clever with it he just had the themes of it um through the character's experiences so i don't know how to answer that i'm sorry <laughs> yeah uh okay so well i guess kind of writing off of that then uh like the michael like uh michael bay's transformers i guess they get a lot of a lot of uh, reputation, bad reputation, I guess, whatever you want to say about, about it for being uh, kind of a, bet, a test to see where we stand socially because like they get criticized a lot for being over the top uh, action films as well as putting a lot of uh, racism in them with uh, the bots and uh, Michael Bay defended uh, the illiterate jive talking bots that seemed like a lot out of black stereotypes by saying they test in the second film film specifically because he said they tested really well with kids so like a lot of people read that as well kids don't know any different and parents will just take them in anyway like uh the series cracked did the online website cracked did a youtube video talking about way better than me i'll include that in the show notes as well so you can understand what i'm saying but uh like what do you think about Michael Bay as a possible conservative director or in general like what are your thoughts on him I think Michael Bay it may not be conservative but I think he might be moderate or he might just be moderate left or he's just like I think he's just kind of (laughs) crazy I'm gonna be real um this guy's got weird ideas and he just he just goes with them um like I don't know if you've seen the trailer it's like a I forgot what is, is it called like LA something uh, and it's got Jake Gyllenhaal in it. It's it's coming up soon. Oh, oh, yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. That it was that uh, film that played before spy the trailer that played before Spider Man No Way Home, where they steal an ambulance. They steal, yeah. And it's wild. Yeah. It is yeah. wild. That man. I think he just loves big explosions, and like I don't really think he cares about you know the stereotypes and stuff. I think he's very. He's focused on story that's a little bit lighter than others. It's yeah. like a story that's lighter, but like darker with explosions and action and thriller and blah, blah, blah. Cause he's done transformers and he's also done, he's yeah. doing that and he does other stuff. I forgot what it is though. Oh, like super eight, right. Is that him? Uh, n- I don't think so. Uh, like that was produced by Spielberg and JJ uh, Abrams direct. Oh, that's JJ I- Abrams. I'm getting them yeah. mixed up. Yeah. My bad but he he likes he likes explosions and he likes and transformers transformers is very what's the word it's very it is for kids and it is very it's it's kind of the similar demographic as not as marvel because there's more girls that like marvel than like transformers so it's a little more little kid base that are young boys so young boys are just like 12 year olds you know like 12 year old boys are gonna love transformers no matter what because like they love dumb jokes and they're the most offensive <laughs> jokers out there. They're not going to care. It's not going to be for the blue haired liberal. Transformers is not made for the blue haired liberal or, you know, and even if black kids watch it, they're going to like it because 
it's just, you know, fun little transformers. They have the transformer toys. They're going to enjoy it. It doesn't matter, you know? So I feel like it's the, it's the, the people who watch transformers will eventually watch things like fast and furious eventually. Cause it's about yeah. cars. Um, yeah. And like, uh, the thing is, is that, uh, Michael Bay, like transformers is surprisingly the original transformers has a lot of plot to it, which is why people have always been kind of, uh, strong about how much they hated the Michael Bay Transformers movies to the point where Michael Bay right before the last night came out in 2018 I think he straight up oh wait 2017 he straight up said that let the haters hate on it because no matter what they'll spend money to see it and he just knows that people stop caring about the plot at this point and uh, just he, he can just do whatever he wants with it. I'll, I'll say the same thing about Fast and Furious. Yeah. <laughs> There's no plot anymore. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't even watch them, but like, I know. It's just, it's just about fast cars, fast times, you know? Yeah. No, it's about family. And family, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and hot girls. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, well, I think that's uh, about all the time we have today. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, would you like to close us out? Uh, sure. Uh, yeah. You guys can find me on Instagram at Lindsay Balif, L-Y-N-Z-E-E-B-A-L-L-I-F. Um, and on Instagram, YouTube, sorry, I already said Instagram, Instagram, YouTube, YouTube, Twitter. And now I'm on Rumble. I'm currently switching, Ooh. syncing my stuff over there. And yeah, and I'm currently creating a locals. So yeah, you can find me uh, over there. Yeah. And on that note, you've been listening to the All You Can Eat Shrimp podcast. We hope you've had your fill.